we are start with a piece from the Chafetz Chaim Alatayra. Parshas Tvarim. And the Pasuk, Rav Lochem Soivis Ahor Hazep Nu Lochem Tzafoyna. And a little later, in the Pesukim Altis Garubam. It starts. So Medrash. There's a Medrash the Chafetz Chaim brings. Im Ra'isem Oisoi, if you see him, meaning if you see Esav. We're Yaakov. The children of Yaakov Avinu, and the Medrash says, if you see Esau shemavakesh his goris bohem that comes to attack you or to bother you, so what should you do? Says the Medrash, loisamdu kenegdoi, don't stand against him. but rather hide from him or run away from him. where should we run? Says the Medrash Borchula Torah, go run to the Torah. Ain't Safoina Elo Torah. Adkan, that's the Medrash. If Esau comes to attack us, we should not stand against him. It's talking about Golos, the Jews in Golos. We should not stand against Esau's children if he comes to attack us, but we should run to the Torah. Says the Medrash, excuse me, says the Chafetz Chaim. The Torah is teaching us not to stand against the Goyim. Even if they attack us or bother us first. We should not fight against the Goyim. Instead, we should go We should follow in the Derech of Yaakov Avinu, the way he behaved with Esau, his brother. Uberamba, how did Yaakov act with Esau when he met him? He prepared for three things. For tefillah, he was afraid Esau would attack him. So he was prepared for tefillah, for doyren, for giving gifts. And for Mulchama, what does it mean he was prepared for Mulchama? What's the Taich? For, well, for war. But in English, the Mulchama can mean two things. Prepare for war or prepare for a war. There's no word a uh, in Lashon HaKodesh. Now, if I tell you prepare for war or prepare for a war, it could mean two different things. If I tell you prepare for war, what does it mean? It means prepare to be part of a war, right? Get your gun ready. If I say prepare for a war, that could mean a war is coming, run away. And guess which one the Ramban says is the real Taich? The Ramban in Vayishlach says, Everything that happened to Yaakov Avinu with Esau, his brother, will happen to us with Esau's children. And we should follow the ways of Yaakov Avinu, the Tzadik, who prepared himself for three things. We should prepare ourselves for three things. And to save ourselves in the way of war. 
to run away and to get saved. That's what the Ramban says. So the Chafetz Chaim brings a medrash that we shouldn't fight against Esau, we shouldn't fight against the Goyim even when they attack us. We should run away or run to the Torah. That's what it says. And the Ramban says this is because Yaakov Avinu, when he met Esau, he prepared for three things. One of which was to run away. Derech Mochama. V'hinei, says the Chafetz Chaim. Kol zman sheholachnu b'derech ha-kevusha hazois, so long as we went with this established derech, Hitzilonu HaKadosh Baruch Hu Miyodom, Hashem saved us from them. 2,000 years, the Jews survived, and that's a big nest, everybody knows that. And how, how could the Jews survive for 2,000 years? So the Chafetz Chaim is saying, because we follow the Torah's instructions on in how to survive. By Goyim, they fight with each other, and whoever wins the war wins. But by the Yidden, it's a different mahalach. The relationship between Jews and Goyim are different than the relationship between Goyim and Goyim. You know, there are some, some animals, if you're attacked by a wild animal, so sometimes you're supposed to, like a shark, a shark comes, you're supposed to punch the shark in the nose or, or in the gills. It's a machloikis between uh, two things that I read. And then maybe he'll run away. And no guarantees, but it's your best shot. But if you're attacked by a grizzly bear, you don't want to punch him in the nose. You want to play dead and make believe you're not a threat. And if you're not a threat, he'll, he'll maybe leave you alone. Also, no guarantees, but it's your best shot. The Torah is telling us that the Jews and the Goyim are two different mitzvahs. One guy meets another guy. They're like two grizzly bears. They fight with each other. Whoever wins, wins. And actually, Rav Shach says this is because Esau got a brocha, al-char b'chosichya. He means that you live by the sword. Whoever has a bigger sword lives. Whoever has a smaller sword dies. But Yaakov Avinu didn't get that brocha, al-char b'chosichya. He didn't get a brocha that you live by the sword. It doesn't matter how big Yaakov Avinu's sword is. He got a brocha, v'yiten l'choloi kimital ha-shamayim, ha-kadish borohu. We run to Hashem and then we live. So, by, if you meet a shark, you punch him in the nose. If you meet a grizzly bear, you play dead. If Klal Yisrael meets an angry uh, band of Goyim, if, if Jew, Jews meet Goyim, we have to act more like it's meeting a grizzly bear than meeting a shark. We have to run to the Torah. The Torah is telling us that if we try to fight, it's going to be bad for us. And this is how we survived for 2,000 years, because we had a secret. And the secret is the Torah told us how to exist in a world of hostile children of Esau. Again, the Chofetz Chaim, throughout history, 2,000 years, we've followed this tried and true method Hashem saved us from them. But, however, 
Now, I don't know when the Chofetz Chaim wrote it. He was Nifter in 1933. So somewhere around then. The Chofetz Chaim says, Mi'oz hudachnu medarkeinu, v'chadoshim ikorav bo, v'hanhigu minhogim chadoshim. But now that, from the time, recently he's saying, we ignored these instructions, and we've had a new derech. Ozvu Neshek Avinu, we threw away the weapons of Yaakov Avinu. Va'ochzu Beklikerev Shel Soinenu, and we grabbed the weapons of Esau, meaning the Jews decided they don't want to run away anymore. They don't want to run to Hashem anymore, to the Torah, they want to fight back against Esau. Hold on. Hold on. We are, they said they want to fight back against Esau. Things got worse and worse for us. And we have only tsaris from this. I'll get to your question in just a moment. But the Chafetz Chaim is saying, and he's saying it's a medrash, and we know, Chazal say, that whenever there were trouble between the Jews and the Goyim, let's say the Goyim made a, I don't know, uh, a gezerah against the Jews or something, and we had to make shtadlonus and we had to meet the king or the prince or whoever was in charge. So before our uh, gedolim would go speak on our behalf, they would chazer this parsha of Yaakov Avinu meeting Esau to be able to chazer the instructions about what to do. And these are the instructions, and for 2,000 years it was like this, the Chafetz Chaim said. Until they tried this new derech, and now things got very bad for us. So now, he's telling us a rule that in Golos, we don't fight against the Goyim. We're not allowed. By the way, your question about the Maccabim uh, is a very good question, but number one, the less important answer is that that wasn't during Golos. We had a base Hamikdash then. We were not in Golos. Remember Hanukkah, the Menorah? So we had a base Hamikdash. But more, much more importantly, what's really uh, relevant is something that the Chafetz Chaim didn't say, which is Nagaya, what, what you're asking. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of Kalal Yisrael. There was, by the, on Hanukkah, when they made Gezeris, there was not one Jew in danger. Not a single Jew was in danger. If the Jews wanted, they could have avo- avoided a war. And not a single Jew would have been hurt. You know what they could have done? Well, it said, what did the, the Greeks want? We should abandon the Torah. If the Jews would have abandoned the Torah, not one Jew would have been hurt. The Jews were not in danger. When they threatened the Jews and they said, if you, if you Mekayim the Torah will kill you, they didn't want to kill us. They wanted us to not be Mekayim the Torah. Right? If I tell you if you rob somebody's house, I'll put you in jail. It's not that I want to put you in jail. I want you not to rob anybody's house. All we could have said is, no problem, we won't keep the Torah. Then everybody would have been safe. The Jews were not being attacked. The Torah was being attacked. Here's the rule. When the Jews are attacked... Like on Purim, 
where uh, Achashverosh did not say, Homon did not say, I want you not to do the Torah. He said, we want to kill you. Then they ran to Hashem. They were mispalal for three days. Afterwards, when the Gezerah was over, and with the permission of Achashverosh, we weren't fighting the Goyim, we were fighting with Achashverosh against, uh, with, with his full permission. We weren't fighting against governments, we were fighting with the full permission on behalf of Achashverosh. Hold on, he gave us permission. That's a different story. Hmm? But, one thing at a time. But, where the Torah is attacked, where the Torah is attacked, and not the Jews, then we fight for Hashem, not for us. When we're attacked, we follow this. When Hashem is attacked, then we fight for Hashem. Hashem protects the Jews, and the Jews protect the Torah. That's the rule. By the way, by Hanukkah, it says in the Yalhanisim, it says that they made a gezerah, and they wanted, we t- we're talking to Hashem in the davening, that we want, that they wanted that we should be We tell Hashem, they wanted to uh, abolish your Torah. Not they put us in danger. They wanted to abolish your Torah. And then it says, Hashem, Rav Tos Rivom Vedan Dinom. Hashem, you fought their battle. You fought the battle of the Jews. The Greeks attacked Hashem's Torah. We protected Hashem's Torah. And then Hashem protected the Jews. So the rule is, for Ruchni is stick a danger, then we, pro- we, meaning the Jews are not in danger, the Torah is in danger, we protect the Torah. But when the Jews are attacked, they want to kill the Jews, then in Golos, we don't fight. And the Chofetz Chaim says, it's not, it's not the Pshat, it's really the Ramban, but he's explaining, it's not the Pshat that it's just we're mechuyiv to be moiso nefesh and die. No, this is how we remain safe. That's why I gave the marshal about the bear or the shark. It's not the pshat that Hashem wants us to get killed and we're not allowed to do anything. Someone may ask, what do you mean? We should just let, stand there and let the goyim kill us. You may ask the same thing if I tell you if you're in the woods and you meet a grizzly bear to play dead. What, what, what would I say if you ask, what do you want? We should just, you should just stand there and let the bear eat you? The answer is, if you stand there, the odds are that he won't eat you. If you don't stand there and punch him in the nose, he will probably will. No guarantees, but that's your best shot. And the Torah is saying the same thing in the relationship between Yaakov and Esau. It's a certain type of relationship. It's not the same as between Esau and Yishmoel, for example, or, or uh, I don't know, Esau and Timna, whatever it is. Between Yaakov and Esau, between the Jews and the Goyim, in Golos, I'll call upon him. The rule is that if we want to survive, this is how we survive. You're going to say it's Bizyonis? Well, is it Bizyonis to play dead if a grizzly bear comes? What Bizyonis? Imagine uh, somebody is a, uh, attacked, attacked is, is approached in the woods by a grizzly bear, and he plays dead. And he has a friend who sees everything, and his friend tells him, what? You, you're a weakling. What kind of person are you? You're not a man. A real man would fight. What would you tell him if you were that person? He would say, I, I'd rather be alive uh, than dead. And this is a, a, it's a grizzly bear. I, I don't have this from a grizzly bear. 
And the other guy says, no, you should stand up and fight like a man. <laughs> Excuse me. You want to fight the grizzly bear? Gesundheit. hate. Go fight him. I'd rather stay alive. That's what we'd say. And that's what the Chofetz Chaim and the Ramban is saying about the relationship between Jews and Goyim. And this has been going on for 2,000 years. And this was the secret of our survival for 2,000 years. Now, I want to bring you fast forward in time to Rav Shach. I don't know exactly when the Chofetz Chaim wrote that or said that because it's not, there's no date on this. But there is a date on this Rav Shach's speech that he gave. Tovshin Mem, that's 1980. So let's say, just for the sake of the argument, Chafetz Chaim, let's say said this in 1920. 60 years later, something happened. A strange thing happened in the span of those approximately 60 years that throughout the history of Klal Yisrael you're not going to find. Rav Shach is talking about this very halacha, this very piece of advice that the Torah gives that if the Jews want to survive in Golis, they shouldn't fight. And the Chofetz Chaim ended off over there and he said that a new thing started in his time, a new thing where the Jews decided they want to fight. And he says it's a terrible thing and it's very dangerous for us. Sixty years later, Rav Shach is saying the same thing that the Chofetz Chaim said about how the title of this speech, this is in the Rav Shach's letters, volume one, number Tesvav, Be'iser his gores be'umois, the Iser to uh, provoke the nations. And he says like this, Hayoyim ledavoynenu, today, unfortunately, Koyev halev, it hurts the heart, Ki af talmidei chachomim, rabonim, and sadikim. They don't understand this. Don't understand this. That we have our own derech, meaning our derech to be saved, to remain safe. We have our own derech. Talmidei chachomim, rabbonim, and sadikim already don't understand this. Michad Gisa, here's the example he's talking about that has to do with the rule, some law they made about the Golan in Eretz Yisrael. The Golan is known in Tanakh as the Boshon. Oig was king of what's today the Golan. It's that area. Yeah. And he's talking about here about Israel and the Arabs and uh, the way they need to act in order to be safe, the Israelis. And he says, he brings this uh, this Yesoids that the Ramban tells us, uh, but he says nowadays it, it pains the heart. It's unfortunate. It hurts to see that even Tamirei Chachomim, Tzadikim, and Rabonim don't realize that we have our own derech. Michad Gisa, on one hand, these, he's talking about the Israelis, they, they act against the other nations and they provoke them. And they think in their tamimus, we're, we're equal. We're equal like all the other nations. We're not on any lower level. Why should we act differently than anybody else? Why should we be less? To give in to what they want. 
America America will say one thing, and we'll say the opposite. We could do whatever we want. Everybody does whatever they want. We'll also do whatever we want. But in the Me'idach Gisa, and at the same time, he's saying they're hypocrites. They danced the Mayofis dance. The Mayofis dance was an um, anti-Semitic dance when the Jews in the olden days in certain countries were beholden to the landlord. And the landlord isn't like today where he collects rent, rent once a month. He was the lord of the land. In order just to make fun of the Jew, in order to humiliate him, he would make the Jew dance a dance. And it would be called the Mayofis dance. It went to a tune. And the Jew would dance. And Rav Shach says, uh, elsewhere he says, you think when the Jew danced that dance, he had bizyonis? What do you think was going through his head? You know what was going through his head? He said when the Jew was doing that dance, and he had to do it to, to save his life, he said, Baruch Hashem, I'm not that landlord. This landlord is a roitzeach, a rosha, a, a, a evil, a monster, and I'm a yid. It's like kind of getting attacked by a grizzly bear. No human being would have bizyonis if he has to play dead and let the grizzly bear, I don't know what the grizzly bears do when you play dead, uh, they, they, the grizzly bear smell him and walk around him and maybe, I don't know what, nudge him with his nose and the whole time maybe even give him a kick or something, whatever the bear does, you play dead and, and you're safe. And nobody's going to say, oh, I have bizyonis because the bear is bullying me. Because the bears are nothing, he's a behemoth. This guy was also a behemoth, the anti-Semite. The Jews looked at the anti-Semites as behemoth, a little self-esteem. But he's saying that the Israelis, on one hand, they say, no, we're big shots, we're as, as good as any other country, and we'll do what we want. But on the other hand, they mamish chan for the United States of America, they... Uh, they, they dance, what, do what everybody says. They want so much to be like Goyim and not Jews, they'll throw away their Yiddishkeit, they'll chan for the Goyim. If the Goyim have this style or this hashkosa or something else, they'll do everything the Goyim want. They bow to the Goyim. If a Goy is something that the Israelis don't have, some hashchosa that the Israelis don't have, they have bizyonis and we have to do everything the Goyim want, be just like them. But on the other hand, no, we're proud and, and we can do whatever we want. He says just the opposite is really what they should be. You should know, the continuation, the continuity of the Jewish people is in danger with this approach. We are in danger if we defy and provoke other nations. And then he says, Afim nimsa dovor, just from a practical perspective, Afim nimsa dovor, even if there's something that's good for Israel. Who knows if that's good for the Jews? There could be things that's good for the Jews and bad for Israel, or, or good for Israel and bad for the Jews. 
And if we want to keep the Jews as a whole, all over the world safe, we have to act like Yaakov Avinu. Now here's my question. There was approximately, give or take, let's say 60 years, let's say two doiris. Between when the Chofetz Chaim said this, he said a new thing, a new movement came. New people came with a new mahalach that we want to fight. Rav Shach is saying, two days later, that even Talmidei Chachomim, and it's not, uh, who, you know, a guy knows a little uh, Gemara, will call him a Talmud Chachom, somebody who Rav Shach is calling a Talmud Chachom. He said, even Talmidei Chachomim, Tzadikim, even Tzadikim, and Rabbonim don't know this anymore. This has been, this is the, you won't find another example where such a basic hashkafa, because this was in, uh, known, what the Chafetz Chaim is saying, to the Jews throughout the 2,000 years of their Golos, because it was Nagea all the time. And again, whenever uh, somebody wanted to go do Shtadlonus by a king or a ruler, they would hazard over this parsha. There are certain things that if you don't learn, you forget. And certain things that if it's not Nagea a lot, it, it's not learned, you don't know it. But this was something that we knew for 2,000 years and was Nagea all the time. In the days of the Chafetz Chaim, a new Hashkofa came up. And in the days of Rabshach, two days later, it's been almost forgotten. Talmidei Chachomim, Tzadikim, and Rabbonim don't know it. What happened in those 60 years? You won't find me another case like this, where in such short of a, such a short time, such an important, well-known, used, well-used, tried and true hashkafa was forgotten. I mean, not everybody. Rav Shach didn't forget it, but he's saying a lot of good people did. What happened in between? Would you pass me the uh, cup with the water, please? Thank you. What happened in between? Thank you. What happened in between was Zionism. There were a group of people who didn't like various hashkafas amongst the Jews. They considered those hashkafas bad for the Jewish people. Hashkafas that came from our religion. About four or five main ones. One of the main ones of the four or five was this. They were the ones that would come like the friend uh, of the man who's attacked by the grizzly bear and say, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you fighting back? They used to write poems about the Jews, the Erlicha Jews, how disgusting they are. Make fun of them because they don't want to fight. Because they believe they and they ran to Hashem. These were Jews who in the 1800s 
maybe starting the late 1700s, depends upon what beginning time you want to use, had an opportunity for the first time in many, many, many centuries to live like a guy. It used to be that Jews were confined to ghettos. Jews didn't have freedoms. Now, the truth of the matter is, nobody really had freedoms. It used to be in the olden days that in Europe, let's take Europe, the, the only other religion besides Christians for centuries were Jews. There were no Muslims in Europe in, in those days. And the Jews, at the beginning, by the way, this idea that the Jews are confined to ghettos, it was the idea of the Jews about a thousand years ago. The Jews in Spain decided, like they, they did in Mitzrayim, they wanted to live in Goshen, and they didn't want to live amongst the Egyptians uh, because they didn't want, to, didn't want to assimilate. And the Jews themselves started, they said, we want to live amongst ourselves in ghettos. Now, sometimes the ghettos were very uh, poor, but sometimes they were actually quite wealthy. Um, there were yesh v'yesh. Later on, the Goyim made rules, uh, anti-Semitic rules, about the Jews not being allowed to go out of the ghettos, but a, a great historian, a secular historian uh, from uh, uh, Cambridge, he had a very good vart. I have to give credit where credit is due. He said a very good vart. He said the locks on the inside of the ghetto doors were there before the locks on the outside. Meaning the ghetto doors were made, the ghettos were made that for things that things shouldn't come in. Later, they put locks on the outside of the doors to make sure that the Jews don't go out. I would add that the locks on the inside of the ghetto doors were stronger than the locks on the outside. And the Jews were, were happy there for centuries. They were happy there. They wanted to be there. We had our own, we had a lot of milos over there, by the way, even Gashmiya stick over the Goyim. Uh, there was, it was a trade-off. There are certain things we weren't allowed to do. The Jews weren't allowed, let's say, to go to the colleges. Um, uh, we couldn't be farmers, uh, things like that. But we had our own Besden system. We were not drafted into the army. In those days, the odds of being killed in the army were much greater than they are today. But Jews were not drafted. I mean, it depends what's Kufa, what country. But I'm talking in general. It was a trade-off. We were not peasants. The peasants were basically like slaves. They were owned by their landlords. They would live in like holes in, a, uh, in the sides of mountains. And they were mamish like, like slaves. And, and, and not like slaves in, in the Chumish. Uh, Nevet Ivri, even Nevet Kenani is treated with dignity and respect. Uh, these slaves were mamish, mamish property. Mamish property. You could treat them worse than a dog. The Jews were not peasants. It was a trade-off. And the Jew, Jews were happy there. Then there was an opportunity, historically, because uh, the... And the governments, by the way, one more thing we, we need to know, were run by the Christian church. The kings, there were kings, but the kings had to get reshus from the church uh, to rule. And the, the church had a tremendous amount of political power. Kings were machnia themselves to church leaders. Then things changed. Uh, there was freedom of religion and freedom from religion. There was the French Revolution. 
late 1700s, uh, an emancipation, an enlightenment, and although people were still very religious, but the authority of religion wasn't there anymore. And they allowed Jews in various countries, uh, in Europe, we'll start with France, a lot of freedom. And for the first time, Jews could be like Goyim. And many Jews, not Sadiqim, chose. They wanted to be like Goyim. And they were. For the first time, the 1800s were the best kufa for Jews that didn't want to be from uh, in, uh, for like uh, probably in all 2,000 years of Golos. They had more freedoms than they, they ever had if they wanted. And they thought that, you know what, now there won't be no more anti-Semitism. Because why do people hate Jews? Because they're so different. They have different hashkafas, they have different values. By Goyim, it's a very important thing to be strong. It's a very hush of a thing. Whoever's stronger, a warrior by a guy is a big honor. The Vikings had this thing. Uh, they would, it would be considered a big bazillion. It, would be called, it was called a straw death. It means you died on your bed. bed was, beds were made of straw. You did not die in battle. It's Rachmanus Nebuch. You didn't die in battle. You were not killed by somebody else. And of course, even better than being killed by somebody else is being able to kill the other guy. A very, very important thing to be strong. A very chosh of a thing. They have the Olympics, sports. There's nothing wrong a guy like sports. Gesundheit. hate. For him, let him do it. But the Jews were never interested in these things. Exercise, yeah. For health, yeah. But this idea, the glory of battle, or the, the you know, the chshivas uh, of war, no such thing. We never were machshiv that. I'll tell you a story I heard from Reb Shmuel Miller, Reb Vigda uh, Miller's son. He was in Lakewood, and he drove Reb Aaron Kotler somewhere to a guy to collect money. And they're in the house, and I get, I... If I remember right, they were waiting for the, the Gvir, and Reb Shmuel Miller, who was then a, a Bocha, and Reb Aaron were there, and, and Reb Aaron suddenly grabs uh, Reb Shmuel Miller's uh, wrist, and he says, we're getting out of here. We're getting out of here. And, uh, okay, so, so, so Reb Shmuel Miller, he got up, and, and he went, and Reb Aaron was like shaking, he was white, and he tells the Rosh Hashiva, what's wrong? He said, Abix, so I saw a gun in this guy's house. A yid has a gun, a gun, a gun in a Jewish house. So we're out, we're out of here. And he left. Jews, Jews were peace-loving people. When we had a fight, we fought. But you know how we fought? You know the story of Reb Chaim and the Chafetz Chaim? You have to know this story. From all the stories that I think that I've ever heard and the ones that I've told both together, I think this one was retold by people who heard it more than any other. The Maskilim, who were around in, in the days of Reb Chaim Brisker, in these uh, 1800s, uh, during this time, there were different levels of, of Jews that wanted to be different than the ghetto Jews, we'll call them that. What? 
No, maskilim were a different group altogether. The maskilim, uh, okay, so when the Jews got freedoms and they were allowed to join the universities, so uh, a lot of people thought anti-Semitism would end, and others figured we could help end anti-Semitism. And the way to end anti-Semitism uh, is to be more similar to the Goyim. The reason why they hate us, because we're so different. We're different in our hearts, we're different in our minds, and again, we're different in our religion. Now, the, there were different shitas about what to do about the assimilationists. So let's just go be Goyim. That's it. We'll be like Goyim. We'll marry Goyish wives. We'll give up the Torah. We'll be Mamish Goyim. That's that shita. Then there were shitas, let's say the Maskilim. We're not going to give up Yiddishkeit. But we're going to make the Jews more normal. We'll go to college. We'll be... We'll, we'll speak German. The Jews in Germany and in France, uh, they started, the Jews spoke Yiddish. They didn't speak German, even though it's very close. Uh, but you can try it. I did. Uh, German, somebody who speaks German will not understand you if you're speaking Yiddish unless you speak very slow. Sometimes in Yiddish, uh, when you say something, means the opposite of what it means in German. Like when you say... Uh, Snishdokain something means there's no, not not any. Nishkain means not any. In German, it's a double negative. There's nisht or there's kain, which, which also means there's not. You can say nishkain means there is not no. Not there's not any. There's not no. But they decide we want to speak German. It's more civilized. Let's make the Jews more civilized. Less yeshivish, more civilized. That's what we'll go to college. We'll learn other things besides Torah, will be chachamim, will be enlightened. And that's what, uh, that, that's what the Maskilim did. There were some of them who were Talmidei chachamim, but they felt that we have to be as doima to the goyim as possible. They were led by a man named Moses Mendelssohn, who was a big philosopher even by goyish standards. And he knew a lot of Torah. I don't want to call him a Talmud Chacham because the Talmud Chacham, one of the requirements is you have to be Mavakesh Emes. And he was not. He was the opposite. He tried to take the Torah and fit it in to his new Hashkafis that the Jews should be like Goyim. We should, in other words, uh, the, like I said, the Jews were the only other religions beside the Christians, right? So we had to get along with the Christians. So here was the Hashkafa of... of uh, Moses Mendelssohn, that Judaism does not require beliefs. It doesn't require hashkafas. Because really the difference between the Jews and the Christians uh, are more the hashkafas than anything else. The fact that we don't drive a car on Shabbos and they have whatever they don't do on Sunday doesn't really make much of a difference. It's our beliefs. Yoshka was a nothing. Um, uh, the the hashkafas really of Yiddishkeit. And so he said, no, Yidin don't have really any Hashkafic obligations. The obligations of Yiddishkeit is only to do things. The halachas, but Hashkafas, there really aren't any. And they were, they were professors, rabbi doctors. And there were different shitas about how to deal with them. Reb Shamshir Fall Hirsch uh, made his Torim Derech Eretz, which meant that, no, let's be yeshivish. By the way, Reb Shamshir Fall Hirsch was considered in Germany a fanatic yeshivish person. He was. He had a, I was once in his, his shul, his shul in Germany. It's still there. It was made into a museum, a Holocaust museum. 
It's right next door, connected to a Beis HaKvoris. Like in the backyard of the shul, they had a Beis HaKvoris. The Chassam Soifer's mother's there. Reb Nossin Adler is there, buried a small Beis HaKvoris. And he had like about 300-something uh, families in his kehillah, that's it. And he was considered a big religious fanatic in Germany. And his idea was, Tayrim Derech Eretz. No, you, you want, you're not, you, you could be very from yeshivish in the, the proper way, but even if you learn the secular stuff. Um, then there were others, like the Chassam Soifa, that said, no, it's the opposite. It's what we, in uh, Besifrei Ramad, Moshe Deser, that's Mendelssohn, Al Tishlach Boyad, that uh, no, just the opposite. If they're doing this, we have to mamish do just the opposite. We have to dafka be not like them. And that way we'll survive. There were different sheets about how to do it, and it could be in this place it was this, in that place it was that. Uh, or uh, others say no, that Reb Shamshan Falhirsch meant it really, really not because of the maskilim. I find it frankly hard to believe that it, co it was a coincidence in the hotbed of Haskol and the exact time and place of Haskola Punkt, he happens to have come up with this sheet uh, without any. Rebel Chonon said Reb Shamshan Hirsch was influenced by them. Um, the famous chuvas of Rebel Chonon in Koivitz uh, Shiurim and Reborch Ber in Bircha Shmuel uh, about college, saying you're not allowed to go to college, were written to Reb Shimon Schwab. Reb Schwab told this to me. He told me a story. One time there was a kid here in the neighborhood that needed to do a report on Chochmas Chitzonius for high school. And they came to me for, for help, for advice. I said, I have a very good idea. Here's what we should do. Let's call Reb Schwab. He's, this is like his thing. So I, I picked up the phone. In those days, phones were on the tables, these big things. With, uh, and there was a wire that came from the handle to the, where you dialed. Um, and it was a dial. It wasn't even buttons. Uh, and he, he told us this story. He said that he was the one that asked that child. He asked it to others also, the Ger Rebbe. And these chuvas were to him. And the Ger Rebbe actually told him that they should not print the Rebbe Chonon's chuva, where he says that Rebbe Shamshir Fal Hirsch was really influenced by them, by these maskilim, for the covet of Rebbe Shamshir Fal Hirsch, but Rebbe Chonon's family did it anyway. Anyway, these are the maskilim. That was the, you know, the rabbi doctors, the rabbi professors, and today, a lot of the, a lot, uh, really any bad hashkafa that we have today, uh, Rav Shach says this really, could be traced to them. Um, they pretty much, as far as, there are no tzedukim bizman hazeh, there's no uh, kusim bizman hazeh, uh, we have a lot of maskilim bizman hazeh, and an offshoot, the, the maskilim opens the way to the Zionists. Um, what the maskilim succeeded at doing, there were not so many of them, there were mamish just a few hundred maskilim, but they mamish made a revolution in Klali's role. They did it because they had printing presses, they published their own things, and it, before the maskilim it used to be, everybody knew that the leaders of the Jews were the gedolim the Rabbonim, the Rosh Hashivas, the Tzaddikim. They said, what? The Rabbonim, they're misleading you. They made pamphlets and books and things, uh, and they gave them out to the Hamoinam. 
and they say, we challenge the Gedolim, there's a guy, Wesley, I challenge the Gedolim to answer my tainas, and if they don't answer within, if I remember right, 30 or 60 days, they have nothing to answer. And these kind of things, and they went straight to the Hamaynam. They didn't have in those days internet, they didn't have blogs, they didn't have uh, websites, but they had printing press, and this is what they did, they mamish made a revolution. Where you write uh, propaganda, you can mamish make a revolution. In the meantime, now let's go to Russia. The year is 1881. There were these maskilim running around, there were these friar Jews running around. This was the 1800s we're talking. And they thought, between the maskilim, between the friar, the assimilationists, all sorts of people, anti-Semitism, it's a thing of the past. We're like Goyim. The, the fruma, who were maskilim, would say, we're enough like the Goyim. We're intellectual. Uh, we're not, we speak German. We speak, in America, it would be we speak English well. We dress like them. Uh, you know why yekis are called yekis? You know what the word means? It means jacket. They, they wore the... we have any yekis here? Okay, you know, yekis were, were yekis because they, they wore the short jackets. We dress like them, we talk like them, we go to school like them, or if you're, depending upon, you know, where you are on this scale, you, um, you marry goyim like them. And kol echod v'yechod kefishi tosoi felt that anti-Semitism would be reduced or even eliminated. In Russia, 1881. Oh, now, now one more thing. Uh, during this time, there were a lot of, because religion lost a lot of its power, uh, there were a lot of replacements for religion. There were a lot of shitas, a lot of isms, they call it. There was Bundism. Communism was an invention. Communism is not just uh, where everybody has equal amount of money. It's a shita. It's a shita about humanity. And what they did was, they, all religions in the olden days used to have to do with a, a god. Uh, or a getchka, uh, various different gods, right? Now they started what you could call a religion without a god. Like shitas. Uh, there was things that were sacred, but not because... Like it was God given, people had shitas. Uh, one of these shitas were communism. It was about the meaning of life. Everybody was writing and talking about what's the meaning of life. There were the Bundists and the Jews, by the way, these friar Jews were the biggest Bikian and the biggest uh, uh, members of all these isms. Of all these isms. The communists. There were Jews in the, uh, who started the Karl Marx, these guys. This was in that Kufa. They started these movements. And then there was another movement also called nationalism. Nationalism meant that until then, uh, if I was a member of, let's say, if I was uh, a member of the English co country, uh, of Britain, so they had a king. In those days, the king was a real king. He had the power to kill anybody he wants, to do whatever he wants. And everybody in the country was like tuffled to the king. If, if I say I'm an Englishman, I mean I'm a, a, a Talmud, a Chosid, a subject, a loyal subject of King George. 
And if I fought a war, I fought for King George. You're fighting for him. And everybody rallied around their king. This hashkafa of nationalism said something different. It said, no, the Englishmen are metzias, b'fnei If you are a certain people from a certain country, you have a nationality. A nationality means you're a different metzias than the Frenchmen. What makes you different? No. It's a good question. And the philosophers of nationalism had different answers. But basically, if I speak the English language, I have the English culture, and I live in the British land, that means that's my metzias, it's my identity. That unites me with other people that live in my land, speak my language, and have my same culture. And I have more shaykhs with another Englishman than I do with a Frenchman. That's called nationalism, that there's some kind of... Family is the wrong word, but it's like family. There's a people. If they're connected by nationalism, and you moisten nefesh for your nation. Now, I'm not being moisten nefesh for my king. We have a nation. This came, of course, uh, at the same time. Uh, it fit in very well. It, this fit in very well with democracy. That we don't have a king, we don't have a, a pope, we don't have a bishop. You could have a pope as your religion, but you have a nation, your, your identity, your metzias. You fight for your people. This was a new thing. You fight for your people. You are part of a people. You might nefesh for your people. You die for your country. Why would a person want to die for his country? Maybe a person can say he should die for other people. Now, the halach is but I could hear uh, you, you love another person so much you want to die for them. I could hear such a thing. But for a country? No, there is such a thing. A country is a zach. It's a metzias. A nationality is a metzias. And you, there was a movement like that. It's a shita, nationalism. There were Jews, by the way, who believed in a new thing, Jewish nationalism. They were the ones later that morphed into Zionists. They believed that the Jews, just like there's English people, there are French people, the Jews are a people also like that. We're united because we're a people. <laughs> this really didn't get off the ground very much because whereas the French are, like I said, they speak French, they have the French country, and they have the French culture, the Jews, what? No had no country, they had no language. They had no culture. But there were these shitas. They didn't what language did they have? No, Sephardim didn't speak Yiddish. They spoke Ladino and Arabs, you know, spoke Arabic, whatever it is. Uh, Syrian Jews. They didn't, they, they, Ashkenazi Jews, Enochanami. And you're right, actually, in, in Russia, there was a, a specific type of like miniature nationality that the Russian non from Jews had. They had a press in, in um, uh, Yiddish. Friar guys. They spoke Yiddish, not Russian, and they lived in something called the Pale of Settlement. You know the expression, somebody's beyond the pale? Well, it means like, well, it means like too far out. It's referring to the Pale of Settlement, place where they, where they made the Jews live. The Jews lived there, but sometimes on their own, sometimes by force, and they had kind of their own nationality, sort of, their own, Friar Yiddish, Friar Yiddish they spoke. And, and, um, and they thought that, you know, they're, they're, they're fine. 
And then in 1881, there were terrible pogroms, terrible pogroms, starting in 1881 in Russia. Dozens and dozens and, and hundreds and hundreds. And later on, it continued time after time, thousands upon thousands of Jews were killed. And as, uh, including, inclu not, this, this is not Stalin. This is before him. Uh, this, and just the pogroms in the streets. And this was Pushat anti-Semitism. And they were shocked. Now we, they had a problem. They went through all of this tircha to be like the goyim or to be goyim, right? And now there's anti-Semitism. So uh, they hated the Jews. They hated Frumkite. They hated it because of these hashkafas that the Jews had. Jews are mirsa things. There's something from the past anyway. Who's really going to want to be from? Uh, when you're in the ghetto, you have to be from. Now we're free. We don't have to do this anymore. Uh, the main hashkafas that they hated amongst the Jews are number one. The Jews were not warriors. We, didn't want, we, didn't like, we don't like fighting. Number two, we are mamleches kaihanim v'goy kodosh. The Jews were always literate. Now they have this Gezeris Chinuch running around, you know, where they want uh, the, all, all the yeshivas to learn uh, a lot of Lamudei Choyl. And, well, uh, maybe, uh, depends what you're doing now. Um, but this Gezeris Chinuch, I remember I, I was speaking to some whatever some politicians, lawmakers, uh, about this, and I had mentioned that Jews, I got this from Rabbi Victor Miller, that, that Jews had, by Goyim, compulsory education started in, in France in the 1800s, 1850-something, if I remember right. The Jews had it from the days of the Koyin Godel Yeshua Ben Gamlo. Jews had to have yeshiva. Every town had to have yeshiva. It was compulsory education. Any town that didn't have a yeshiva, machrimim oisoi, or machrivin oisoi. You either uh, uh, undo it, you dismantle it, or you, you, you ostracize it. That's a good thing. But, who you are you to come tell us yeah, about education? Yeah, but I'll tell you more. I'll tell you more. Uh, uh, Rav Victor Miller, uh, when he wrote his first book, Rejoice O Youth, this is where, where it says this. It's where I got it from. He was mashkiach in Chaim Berlin. The Rosh Hashiva in Chaim Berlin was Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner has a shtickle Torah in his Pachad Yitzchak where he says that, and it's not a stira. I don't mean to say it's a machloikis. It's just talking to two different people and at two different uh, angles. It's not a machloikis at all. Uh, but he says there are so many Jews that are proud of the fact that we had compulsory education uh, from the days of Yeshua ben Gamla. He says anybody who's proud of this, who says this, doesn't understand the difference between Jews and Goyim. That's what he says. Because we don't have an educational system. We have a mitzvah of Talmud Torah, and it used to be before Yeshua ben Gamla. Things, not to pshat, things were, things were better once upon a time. The Gemara says, if not for Yeshua ben Gamla, Torah would have been forgotten from Klal Yisrael. So I put in Hezekasha. So in all the Doyers until Yeshua ben Gamla, why wasn't the Torah forgotten? The Teretz is because the Torah is Kihem Chayenu Baruch Yomenu. It's not something you teach to a student. It's something you give over to your children. 
And just like a mother gives life to the children, and a mother gives milk to the children, parents give Torah to the children. That's how the Messiah works. It, giving over the Messiah is not uh, uh, exercise in teaching in, in the educational sense. It's giving over life. It's the next generation. But then what happened is the Doris got weaker, and they weren't able. So Yeshua Ben Gamla invented this thing called yeshivas that there has to be. But it's nothing for us to be proud of that we need yeshivas. It's not a steer between that and what Rabbi Miller said, of course. But the Jews were educated and, and the Jews learned everything. But despite that, do you know the, uh, do you, there's architecture from all sorts of cultures all over society, uh, uh, Italian architecture, there's, I don't know, French architecture, Spanish. Is there anything as Jewish architecture? Yeah. What? <laughs> That's now. But there's no such thing throughout history, the centuries, a Jewish style architecture. No, but that's not Jewish architecture. That was whatever's practical. In other words, there were Jews, fried, right? Um, the there's Greek. Art. Is there such a thing as Jewish style art? The Jews, I'm sure the Jews had an artist here and there, uh, maybe an architect, maybe even here and there, but the Jews did not aspire to be these things. The Jews wanted to be Mamlechus Kaihan and Kodosh, and being, having Parnosa, yeah, Parnosa. The Jews had Parnosa, but there was no uh, glory in being an artist. Nothing wrong if a guy wants to do it, let him, nothing wrong. Nothing wrong if he wants to be an architect. Adaraba, it's a great thing. Let them do it. But for Yidin, we had something higher. Mamleches Kehanim v'Goy Kadosh. That's what we wanted. That's why throughout history, the Jews don't have any. You have I don't know. Uh, do we have war heroes? We don't even have war heroes, of course, because we weren't interested in war. There was all over Tanakh and every other page. There's wars. What are the, uh, let me tell you a story about Reb Chaim now, okay? So these maskilim, that's how we started this, they would make fun of the Jews, the, the Erlich Yidin, because of this. Their whole thing was, no, Jewish art, let's make, let, let, it doesn't have to be Jewish specifically, that was a Shiloh, but let's have, Jews can be artists and architects, and we can join in the glory and the, the values, that's a, the word I'm, I'm looking for, of the Goyim to and still be from. And the real Elohim, they would mamish, they, they would make fun of these yeshivish guys. So they ran to Reb Chaim once and they said the Maskim, they would make skits and plays and magazine uh, stories, satires about Jews. And one of the stories, they ran to Reb Chaim and they said they mamish making fun of us. Uh, we got to tell you, Rebbe, what, we, what do we answer to this? Here was the story. They had a, a, a skit. I heard another Nusuch who was in a, a paper. A, um, a comic strip, but let's say it was a skit. Uh, the Jews had to go to war. So the Meshuach Melchoma got up there and he started recruiting people. Who wants to go to the war? Thousands of people came. So he says, okay, but whoever just got married, go home. Some people go home. Uh, whoever just uh, uh, built a house, go home. Whoever's scared of, of the enemy because he has not enough betochen in Hashem, in his chusim, go home. Whoever doesn't have schusovis, even though mamza tam chachem kaidim lekayin gadol amaretz, but if you don't have schusovis, go home. Whoever does a little avera, soch bein tefila tefila, if you talk between tefilin shaniyad, go home. At the end, everybody went home, and there are only two people left to fight the war: Reb Chaim Briska and the Chofetz Chaim. 
Okay? It was funny. Now, Chaim was very tall. He was a big man. I can imagine why they picked these two Gedolim. The Chavetz Chaim was very, very small. He wasn't five feet. So you can imagine, you know, Reb Chaim and the Chavetz Chaim standing next to each other. That was it, the whole army. So they asked Reb Chaim, what do we say? So he looks at it and he says, okay, this, this is true. This is true. This very good. This is Takazoi. Oh, yeah. He goes through the whole thing. Says, Everything they said is true, but they left out one part. We won the war. That was the way Jewish armies existed. If you have in your picture a mind of a Jewish army, today, Fakert, I know I, I tested this out. If you take a bunch of kids in camp, let's say, and you tell them, draw a picture of Dovid HaMelech. There's two images you're going to get mostly. Either guy, somebody with a harp, you know, a king with a harp, or a soldier on a horse, a guy with a sword uh, on a horse, like, uh, I don't know, uh, some barbarian on a, with a sword. That's not it. If you really want to draw a picture of David HaMelech, it should look like the Chafetz Chaim, it should look like the Chazonish, it should look like Rav Shach. This, if, not, on, not only that, but if you want to draw a picture of the Jewish army, the Jews going to war, that's what the soldiers were. We won wars, we won wars on Schusim. The, 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 the friar, they hated this. They hated this attitude that Jews have this idea that even when you're in war, it's Reb Chaim and the Chafetz Chaim that's winning the war. Aren't you normal? You don't want art. You don't want sign. You don't want any of this. You don't want to fight. You want to be Mamleches Kehenim Goy Kodesh. You Mishugoyim. You're sick. You're abnormal. It, it must be only because you're so many years in the ghetto that it got knocked into your head this. Get out of the ghetto mentality. Become a normal person. Be a strong person. Fight against your enemies. What kind of normal human being doesn't fight against their enemies? That started, Chavetz Chaim's talking about. What kind of normal people? What kind of normal people don't want art or this? They're sick in the head, the Jews. They're literally sick. And they have a ghetto mentality because being cooped up, not allowed to be around society, this is what happens to them. The truth of the matter is, this is the Torah. There was a poem by a big Zionist, Chaim Nachman Bialik. It's the most mamish, the most anti-Semitic, disgusting thing that you've seen in your life. In English, it's called City of Slaughter. It's a story, it's a poem. It's a story about a, a pogrom in a city. And pogroms were, it was worse than war. They were mamish, rachmon, chop people up. And, and like all the stories, like in the Kinnis on Tishabov, that's mamish what, what, what a pogrom was. And uh, he has a story about the pogrom, Goyim coming and attacking a city and doing all these horrific things. And all the men, there were men, women, and children. And the men would run, run, run and hide in a hole and look out through the cracks and see their wives uh, getting uh, raped and their kids getting uh, torn apart. And they would be sitting there and just cowering like cowards. And when the whole thing was over, what they would do is they would, uh, they would get out of the hole, crawl out of the hole, and go to the Rav and say, uh, am, I mut am I still mutter to my wife? That's the, like the punchline. There were various different isms that the Jews came up with to replace Yiddishkeit. Communism was to a, uh, the Karl Marx, the, star, the, begin, the starters of communism, there, there, there were many of them were Jews. Bolsheviks, various different isms. And Zionism was one of them. Zionism means 
the Jews are a nationality. Before these Zionists, and we're not even talking Herzl yet, a guy Moses Hess, who was a Rebbe, a Rebbe uh, influencer of Karl Marx, these were Freya, communists, guys like this. Uh, Jews are not, what, 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 might, what makes me and you connected? What makes us brothers? What makes Jews Jews? We know it's one thing. Said, as the Pesach says, the Jews are Klal Yisrael because we have a Torah. We don't have any common anything except the Torah. Jews do have a common language. One Yid meets another Yid, maybe a Yemenite Jew meets a German Jew in the street. They have a common language. One Jew says to the other, what Masech are you learning? The other one says, Brochus. says, oh, Brochus. Uh, what sugi are you holding in? Oh, I don't know. Zman Krish Mashal Arvis. Who? Let me tell you my pshat in the Machloikis Rashi and Toysis on Dav Beis. Every Jew has the same Machloikis Rashi and Toysis on Dav Beis. Every Jew has the same sugi. And that was the Jewish language. The Jewish land was the Torah HaKadoshah. That, that was what, 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 what made us grow. That's what we were loyal to. We would die for the Torah. Remember? When they attack the Torah, we, we fight for it. We didn't have, and, and that's all the Jews were. Uh, you know what the Rambam says, why Jews are brothers? Where does it say Jews are brothers? Yeah, but where's the mocker? Says the Rambam in Hilchas Matnas Aniyim, it's a posuk. You're God's children. And we have the same father, Vaisachais, we're brothers. That's it. If a guy does not believe in Hashem, he does not, here's the rule, here's the Nakuda. If a guy does not believe in Hashem, that means he does not believe in the Jewish people. Up there. Look up there. In the kitchen. Oh, okay. The, if a guy does not believe, I don't know. If a guy does not believe in Hashem, he does not believe that the Jewish people exist. Because without a Torah, if there would not have been a Kabbalah Satoira, it's not the Pshat we wouldn't be, we would be Jews without a Torah. There would be no such thing as Jews. Jew means somebody with a Yiddish and a Shoma, somebody who's Chayiv and Tariag Mitzvah, somebody who the Torah says has the Chiyuvim and the status of a Jew. That's all it is, nothing else. It's not the Pshat, this is the most important Nakuda here, it's not the Pshat the Jews are some kind of people. We're united somehow uh, through something. And, and we have a religion, like the Greeks had a religion, and the Romans had a religion, and the, I don't know, the Chiti and the Amori, they had religions. It's not the Pshat the Jews have a religion, is, that's our Hashem, and they believe in, I don't know, the Baal. No, it's not the Pshat. The Pshat is that the Torah is what makes us Jews. In fact, Judaism, a long time ago, thousands, a couple thousand years ago, was not called Judaism. It was called Torah. Without the Torah, there are no Jews. If somebody does not believe in the Torah, he does not believe that the Jews exist. However, there was a movement amongst the isms of Jewish nationalism, which is also known as Zionism. No, the Jews are a people which, as I said, didn't really get much off the ground because we don't have a common language, common, we, don't have, we don't have a flag, 
There are people that there there are there are nationalities that don't have countries like the Kurds, but they have a national anthem, they have a flag, they have a language. They're just looking for a place to live. Nobody wants to give them a place, but they were they had the characteristics of a nationality. What? <laughs> there was no Israeli flag in Klal Yisrael until uh, the Israeli flag was made, but that's exactly the point. So what they did was, they said, these, now after the pogroms in Russia in 1881, these guys had a problem. The victims of the pogroms, they said, we, we hate being Jewish. Being Jewish meant being from. No art, no science. You can be an artist, but are you going to get covered for being an artist if you're from a year? If there's a fancy Jewish artist, let's say there's a, nothing wrong, it's a parnasa like anything else, nothing wrong at all. Somebody's talented. Let's say there's a of a Jewish architect or artist. He walks into a, a base medrash. A, people are going to give him covid. He could be a nice guy. We give covid to people who are Talmudic Chachamim and Sadiqim and combination thereof. And Gendik, that's it. Covid is for, for the Torah. You want to, uh, you like somebody, fine, you like somebody, a nice guy, but it's not something we glorify. They couldn't take this. They couldn't take being hidden. Golos people, ghetto people, disgusting, disgusting people. And they hated Yiddish. They hated Yiddish. Because Yiddish is like, you know, like today, if you have a Yiddish guy that can't really speak English well, and he tries speaking English, I mean, somebody who does not just, he says like a little thing, you know, like say, I'm going to be by so-and-so for Shabbos. That's, by the way, not English. No guy would say that. It's, I'm going to be at so-and-so for Shabbos. It's only yeshivish guys, because in Yiddish, it's taka say, ich will sein by yenem of Shabbos. So it's a tr- Yiddish translation. I'm going to be by him for Shabbos. But in English, there's no such thing. I'm not talking about a guy like that. I'm talking about mamish, one of these Hasidish guys that could barely speak English. That's, uh, that's how the Maskilim and the Freya, that's how they looked at the from of people that spoke Yiddish and couldn't speak German except in a broken German. Oh, they, they hated them. Uh, but here they had a problem. The Goyim wouldn't let them be Goyim because the pogroms, they were shocked. It shocked them more than anything else. Like, Yershusha Navoicha. They, they were confused. They mamish totally confused, the friar. They thought there wouldn't be no more anti-Semitism. They didn't understand. Why do they hate us? Why do they want to kill us? We're just like them. And they didn't want to be Yidden. And they, they Goyim wouldn't let them be Goyim. So they had an Eitzah. Here's the Eitzah. They said, no, you know why the Goyim don't like us? Because we're not really a nationality. We have to be a nationality. The Jews are a nationality. It's not the Torah that makes us a people. But the problem is, what else? The late 1800s, 1800, what? So here's what we'll do. We'll think of ourselves as a people. At least we'll think. And these people, they were called Zionists. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We got to make the Jews, all the Jews, think of each other, think of themselves as a nationality. So we will, let's say, um, I'm a Christian, and I want the Christians uh, not to be religious Christians. I want them to be baseball players. But if I tell them, you know, stop with your Christianity, do something more important, become a baseball player, maybe they won't listen to me, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, no, you know what Christianity is, what it really is? It really means being a good ball player. Yoshka, 
was a general manager of a team, and he was an, and his Talmudim were all all-stars. And I'm going to make uniforms for you. The uniforms will have pinstripes that will say Christians on it. And I'm going to get you a stadium, Christian stadium. And I'm going to get you balls and bats, and I'm going to make a Christian team. And before you know it, I'm going to say, no, not the Pshad, you shouldn't be a good, be a good Christian. But a good Christian means a good ball player. What these Zionists did, they said, we don't want, we're not going to tell the Jews not to be Jews. No, be a Jew. But you know what a Jew is? A member of the nation. We're going to get you a language. So they invented Ivrit. They invented Ivrit because language is maybe, it's a machloikis, language or country, which is the most important component of a nation. And we know it. Loshoin is a euphemism for a, a, a nationality, a people. Ivrit existed before Israel did. The Israeli flag existed before the state of Israel did. Give them whatever we can and say, no, this is the Jewish language and make a fake history. Jews throughout the generations always wanted their own, they always wanted to speak Ivrit and they always wanted a land. Let's try to get a land. Oh, maybe we can't. Maybe we'll be like the Kurds. That was the hardest part. You could make a language, you could teach them, but getting a country is not the easiest thing in the world. But at least a language. And, uh, and the Jews always looked at themselves as a nationality. And, and the land, their land, their hope, even if we can't get it, is Israel. Eretz Yisrael. That is our land. Gretz, there's a historian. He was a, off the derech, a German, Gretz. He started Jewish history. He wrote a big 11 volume. And all the Goyish ideas of Jewish history is mostly based on Gretz. I mean, they know that his whole history is Baba Mises. I mean, the historians know this. It's more propaganda. But the, uh, but it's, the Jews never had real uh, total history books. We were busy with Gemarashi Toysis. You know where it starts? It starts, the history of the Jews start when Yeshua came into Eretz Yisrael. No Avram Avinu, no Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, maybe there were legends, whatever. And he doesn't believe in Yeshua either. Yericho, he doesn't believe the whole thing. But that's the story of the Jews. The Jews were born, the nation of the Jews, not on Har Sinai, in Eretz Yisrael. We became a people. We'll make a language, Ivrit. This is the, the opposition to speaking Ivrit that the Gedolim had. Uh, Briskerov refused to speak a word of it. Uh, they, they speak the Gedolim, even though I'm sure they're fluent, but at home they all speak Yiddish. This is why Ivrit was a Miyasazach. It was designed as an instrument of changing the identity of Jews from Torah Sinai to a nationality. We'll make a flag. They had a flag before they had a country, the Israeli flag. The national anthem, by the way, they, everything they stole, everything, the national anthem, the Israel national anthem, Hatikva, is really a Romanian folk song, which I, I can't pronounce, but it's available everywhere, and I will gladly play it for you if you like uh, afterwards before you leave. I'm not joking. It has to do with, uh, with oxen. A uh, peasant is uh, pulling his oxen left, right, left, right, however you say that in Romanian. It's an old song. They took what? The niggin, no, the niggin, not the words, the tune I'm talking about. The words they, they, they made, but they used an old niggin, they, and they slowed it down, but you'll, you'll recognize it. And it's not a secret, they're moida, they're moida that it's not. And when you hear people say what a Jewish melody, what a heart singer, the soul of a Jew, no, it's an old Romanian folk niggin. But this is what they wanted, and the final part is let's get a country. And the identity of a Jew the objection, to, the objection more than anything else to Zionism is 
that it's a change in what the definition of a Jew is. It's a change in what the definition of a Jew is. You hear? This is before Israel. It's a change in what the definition of a Jew is. A change. If, you know, there, there was once, the story of the Jews is very simple. If you want to tell a guy or what are the Jews, it's three, three, three parts to it. Hashem gave the Torah to the Jews. That's it. Everything else is perish. Hashem gave the Torah, number two, three to the Jews. The old idol worshippers changed Hashem. They made a getchka, physical Hashem. The Christians changed the Torah or added, they made a New Testament. And the Zionists made a new Klal Yisrael. To them, it, what I said before, that if you don't believe in the Torah, you don't believe in the Jews, to them, it's not true. The Jews had a religion, like everybody had a religion. But we are really a nationality. We came from the Middle East, from Israel. In fact, Israel's Declaration of Independence says, starts off, here the Jewish, people, Jewish nation was born. That's their shita. And homelands, do you know what homeland is? Even Eretz Yisrael, it's not our homeland. Do you, do you know, how do you say homeland? First of all, what's the definition of a homeland? The word homeland is just a few hundred years old. It's a nationalist word. You know how they say it in modern Hebrew and Ivrit? Moledet. Moledet is a word. It's means the place you were born. Homeland means the place the Jewish people as a nation was born. Just like the French were born in France, and now they're exiled from France. The Jews were born in Eretz Yisrael and were exiled, and we've got to go back, just like the French, if they would be exiled, would want to go back to France. It's a different idea of what Eretz Yisrael is. Eretz Yisrael is a holy land. It's not a homeland, the place where we were born, the pagans had some connection between them and their land, where you die for your land. The Zionists have a story about uh, Joseph Trumpador. And all, they, have, they, have, they, have, they have fairy tales like any other people. How he was in a war, in a battle of Tel Chai, and um, he died, and his last words were, it's good to die for your, for, your, for your land. And his blood went into the ground, fertilized the ground, and a red flower came up because of his blood. This type of relationship between the land, and it, it's not Jewish. The whole idea, when we look at Eretz Yisrael, it's a holy land. What's important about it, the only important thing about it, is that it has Kedusha. What flowers grow there, what, mountain, what's, what mountains are there, are not important. You know what it's like? It's like, I mean, to the extent it's Nagea Halacha, Makam Kodesh is one thing. But the geography, this Yediyas it's what they have. It's a purely, let me ask something. Does anybody here know what Kolahir the Chofetz Chaim had before it got white? No. Does anybody care? I don't. Nobody does. Anybody know what Kolahir Reb Chaim Briska had? Uh, who, who cares? Rav and Abaya? Briskarov, yes. He, we know what color hair he had. Yes, that's true. So the odds are Reb Chaim had dark hair too, probably. But we don't care what color hair Rav and Abaya had. We care for their Torah. And in Eretz Yisrael, we care for the Kedusha. And that's it. The relationship between Eretz Yisrael and the Jewish people, they changed. Now it's a homeland. It's not. It's a holy land. It's a darkestic difference, but the Zionists said, by the way, when they were looking, when uh, Herzl came and he made the first Zionist Congress in um, 1890, 
six in, in Basel, or 1897 maybe, in Basel, Switzerland. It was the 125th anniversary a couple of weeks ago, so do the math. Um, they, uh, they had other opportunities. They had the Uganda plan. Herzl wanted Dafgarit Yisrael, the Fruma, there were Mizrahistim over there, Frum Zionists, they wanted the Uganda plan. They said, all we want is a safe place to live. Why, why do we have to go to Eretz Yisrael where the Arabs don't want us? Herzl said, no, for marketing, you need, if you want to convince the Jews of what they are, you need Eretz Yisrael. That has to be our goal. You see, now we can rebrand Eretz Yisrael into a, we could rebrand Lashon HaKodesh into a national language. There was a story, the Pope, the Pope, the Catholic Pope, came to visit Netanyahu. There's a video of this. And um, Netanyahu, uh, and there was an interpreter because they didn't speak uh, common language. And Netanyahu was telling the Pope, he says, you know, Yoshka uh, lived here in our land and he spoke Hebrew here. So the Pope says, no, Aramaic. And the Pope is right. This man got knocked into his head that this is the Jewish language. Hebrew, the Jew, it's not true. In the days of Tanakh, the Yidden spoke Eloshan HaKadosh, that's true. But uh, we, we didn't speak it anymore, so what? Uh, the Chassam Soifa says because uh, in Golos uh, there's Tumah and Avodah Zorah and it's a bazillion for Loshan HaKadosh to speak it in uh, impure places, so we just dropped it. Uh, but this idea that, this, that land, language, that made the Jews, his surah of what the Jews had before Golos is just Boba Mice, a fairy tale. And, and the, the, the whole psychology of Zionism is just to get the Jews to think that they have a country. You ask me, is Israel good, not good? I'm going to tell you it's not Nigeia. What is Nigeia is, what is your country? Your country is the United States of America. Fine. Uh, but where, were, where was they? they German. Uh, German. All right, you're Yeki. Okay, German. My family is from Poland um, on my father's side, uh, Russia on my mother's side. Uh, and, but this state that was created in 1948, they want... Zionism is an interesting kind of nationalism. It's unique than more than any... It's different than all other nationalisms in the world. In Israel today, there's Israeli citizens, right? And then there's a nationality. It's two separate things. There's no such thing as an Israeli nationality. It's Jewish nationality. Israel, by law, they made something called a nation-state law, is not the country of, not the state, not the country of the Israelis. It's the country of the Jews. That means it's my country, it's your country. Uh, they all say this following formula. If you don't want to know what Zionism is in the Kitzer, Netanyahu wrote this in his book. Uh, Vigda Lieberman has it on Israel's website of Ministry of Foreign uh, Affairs. Uh, there, Dani Ayalon and various other diplomats have said this formula. What France is to the French and Japan is to the Japanese, Israel is to the, finish this statement, I would say to the Israelis. Ah, but that's not what the way it goes. Israel is to the Jews. Without Zionism, if Israel would be a normal country like all countries, without Zionism, if their nationalism would be the same as everybody else, Japan is to the J Japanese, with France is to the French, with Israel is to the Israelis. By law and philosophically, that's not true. Israel is the only country in the world like this. And they have laws that Israel is the country of the Jews. That means two things. If you're not a Jew and you live in Israel and you're a citizen and you fight in the army, 20 generations theoretically, Israel, st you still don't have self-determination rights. 
It's not your country, meaning that it, it's, it's a country of the Jews. What the nafkamina is legally, la halacha, uh, for them is another discussion. There may not be any major nafkamina, but philosophically, but if you are living here in America uh, and you never war- was in Eretz Yisrael, uh, you're never planning on living there, and you're sit- no, Israel is your country, and that's why Jonathan Pollard recently said that Jews should all spy on their countries for Israel, because Israel's your country. Israel is your country. And that's Zionism, that Jews have a country. I have a country, it's the United States of America. They want to make a country in 1948. I'm not even getting into now the Xeris HaGolos, if such a thing was permitted. No, it wasn't. I'm not getting into that. It's not Negea. That's not Zionism. It's a different thing altogether. The Zionists will tell you a lie. They will put words in the mouths of the Orthodox Jews. So you know why Orthodox Jews are against Zionism? It's because Mashiach didn't come yet. That's a Zayte Gezach. No. They want everybody to agree. Everybody should agree. The Jews are a nationality. When do you make a country? Now, later, it's a question of timing. They want to eliminate this major thing. The whole definition of a Jew, the identity of what the Jewish people are. When they say Jew and I say Jew, it means two completely different things. Like when, uh, I don't know, what a musician says he has a gig and uh, my computer has a gig. It means two different things, even the word sounds the same. When a Zionist says Jew, and I say Jew, we mean two different things. And psychologically, if anybody believes that an American Jew, let's say, right, has a national connection to Israel, you feel differently, you feel more connected to the country, not the land. Lebanon, part of Lebanon is Eretz Yisrael. Southern part of Lebanon. Eilat is not Eretz Yisrael. I'm talking about the country. See, they did this on purpose to, kind of, to make us confused. Uh, the country, different than you feel about China or Spain. There are Jews in Ukraine. Ukraine has a war now, right? Uh, and there are Jews in Ukraine that are in danger. They are. And we're, we mispal for them. We say tilim for them. And there are uh, askonim that do a lot of hishtadlus for them to try to get them out and everything. And, and we're mispal for the Jews in Ukraine. Was anybody here mispal that Ukraine should win the war? We're cheering on Ukraine in the war with Russia. No. We care about Ukraine. We don't care about Ukraine. We don't care about Russia. We care about one thing. Our f- fellow Jews who live in Ukraine. Right? Nobody cares. And, and when the Jews were, uh, were in, uh, Jews in Afghanistan when there was a war there, or wherever there are, we don't care about these countries. We care about the Jews, because we're Jews. Israel needs psychologically to be the same thing. And this is really the prova to see if a person's affected by Zionism. If the, yeah. the Shabbos that the, the war started in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and everybody was trying to get the Jews out, and they weren't sure right. whether they'd be all killed mm-hmm. or anything. At, in that shul, which is a firm shul, mm-hmm. they stood up and they said the Mishabeah for the Sahal. So I went over to the Rav afterwards. Uh-huh. I said, the Jews in Ukraine are being killed. And you're saying a Mishabeah for the Sahal. Why don't you say Mishabeah for the Ukrainian army? That's, uh, exactly. That's the idea. That we, as a Jew, because I'm a Jew, therefore I have a country. That's Mamish Ezerbolchonon, Chazonish, Biskirov, that's Mamish Avoidazorah. It's not just a bad idea. It's mamish avoy because you're changing the definition of the Jew. And 
if you if a Jew thinks because I'm a Jew, therefore I have a country, or therefore I have a national language. If it, if you look at two people in the street, one speaking Aramaic, I don't know, or one speaking Ivrit, and you feel more Jewish, one thing that's what they want, because now part of your own Jewish identity, the way you look at yourself, has nothing to do with the Torah. And the psychology is amazing. I'll tell you a story. My son, my my Yoli, went to learn Eretz by Reb David. He's already now married five years. He can I Nahara. He lands in Eretz Yisrael, first time he was ever there. He calls me up and he says, Tati, the, the brainwashing here for Zionism is unbelievable. You have no idea what, what it's like. I said, what did you see in a day? He got off the plane, he went to his dira. Uh, maybe, he, he went to, uh, maybe he saw the yeshiva yet, maybe not. He said, he looked on a map, and now they have like you know, Google Maps so you could check the streets. All the, most of the streets in Yerushalayim, you're all in Eretz Yisrael? Okay, most of the streets in Yerushalayim are named after people, Jews, right? Some Rishoyim, some Tzadikim, there's Nevi'im, Yirmiya, Yeshaya, Yecheskel Street, right? And then there's Herzl Street, Jabotinsky Street, all of these things, right? In all of Yerushalayim, did you ever see a Moshe Rabbeinu Street? No, because it doesn't exist. Did you ever see an Avram Avinu Street? No, because it doesn't exist. Neither does a Yitzchak Avinu Street or a Yaakov Avinu Street. You will see Ruven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, but on those blue signs on the corner that explain what the street is, it says, Echod Meshiv Te It's not Yaakov Avinu's children. It's one of the Shvatim. The streets start with Rechoiv Bin Nun, with Yeshua. When the Jews went into Eretz Yisrael, every personality, Tzadik, Russia, whatever you can imagine, has a street in Yerushalayim. But Moshe Rabbeinu, the Yavis are not there. We did find, I did find on the computer, there's one neighborhood where they built, uh, where they have only the Imois, for whatever reason, Sarifka Rachaleya, like we were one right after each other, they made like Imois neighborhood. But the Yavis are not there, Moshe Rabbeinu is not there, nobody's there before Yeshua went into Eretz Yisrael, because my son knew this thing with Gretz, that he started Jewish history like that. And they want you to think that when you're walking down the street in Eretz Yisrael, it's your land. But if you're walking in southern Lebanon, that's equally Eretz Yisrael, a town, Nakora, some Arab town in Lebanon. If you feel less that this is your holy land, they got you. It's unbelievable. They got you. Because they're both Eretz Yisrael and they're both holy. A lot is Chutz Loretz. A lot is no different than Paris or New York. But I'm sure nobody, nobody here goes there anyway. But in, in uh, Lebanon, if you're walking in Lebanon, you know the Gedolim, the Rambam said, would kiss the, the lands, the people that love Eretz Yisrael, they would kiss the land, they would kiss Lebanon if they landed in Lebanon, because that's Eretz Yisrael. Do you understand how this sounds strange? The reason it sounds strange is because they got us. Eretz Yisrael and our whole Judaism was slightly shifted, rebranded, made into something that it's not, made from Ruchnius Gashmius, made from Ruchnius into politics. Meaning they made it from Ruchnius Gashmius, Klal Yisrael, from a na- nation that was born at Har Sinai. Hayoyim hanzeh nihiyesa la'om. The Gemara Brocha says it means Kabbalah's HaTorah. That, that, no, we were born like all other nations. The Fran- French were born in France. The, uh, the Spanish were born in Spain. The Jews were born in Eretz Yisrael. No, no, what Japan is to the Japanese, Israel is to the Israelis. Zionism comes. It's a philosophy. It's a nation, and there is no other country in the world like that. 
Nobody else. If you, uh, let's say, you go to Italy, you immigrate to Italy now from America, and maybe you, you won't speak Italian so well, but after X amount of generations, your family will become Italians. I mean, America is only here, what, 250 years? That's it. In 1776, approximately. Everybody who lives in America, uh, unless, I don't know, they're Indians uh, or pilgrims, you know, 99.9% uh, .9 of the people here came from somewhere else. And after X amount of generations, you become an American. You could become an Italian, become Spanish, a French. But if you go to Israel, where the nationality is Jewish, if you move there and you're a guy, you live there for 20 doyres, you fight in the army, you become a member of the Knesset maybe or whatever, it's still not your country. You never become a Jew. What's weird is that if you convert, uh, you go to a Rav, he converts you, and now you, are, now you became their national. It's a philosophy trying to fit a, it, a square peg into a round hole. Those, it doesn't stim. Those but, Jews are sometimes more glam than the glam. Yeah, and by the way, it's not only now, this is why the Miyuhudi, the Geirus, is so important to them. Why the Mulchama with the Zionists very often revolves around Geirim. Because according to us, if somebody's Makabal Torah now, he wasn't Makabal Torah in Harsinai, now he's Makabal Torah, he's a Yid. He doesn't need loyalty to anybody, to a country, to nothing. Is he, by them, no. A Jew, Israel is your country. And they want more and more and more that if you're loyal to Israel, that makes you more Jewish. Uh, uh, the more you're loyal to Israel, the less Momoi could be makel in Kabbalah's mitzvahs. You serve in the Israeli army, you moist an for Klal Yisrael. So there are shitas like that amongst the from, from Zionists, because there are Jews that have the Zionist idea and Jews that are very much against it, and all sorts of uh, mix-ups in between. That's a thing. It's not a binary thing that you either are or aren't. It's like any other mida. It's a mida. It's a hashkafa. Uh, you're a materialist. Are you a materialist or not? Are you a balgaiva or not? Well, they are big balgaiva, not everybody's paroi, right? About such a balgaiva. But uh, people have gaiva. Um, and by the way, their definition of a Jew, listen to this. What, obviously, that an atheist can consider themselves good Jews because they're loyal to Israel. And by the way, you're, you're according to their new shittas, you're an anti-Semite if you're against Israel, even if you like Jews and if you hate Jews, but you like Israel, like Orban and, uh, and these type of mamish anti-Semites. No, you're okay. It all depends upon, because, because the definition of a Jew, they are shifting, shifting, shifting to loyalty to Israel. But, listen to this, there was a court case, a Supreme Court case in Israel. Here's the case. Guy's name was Brother Daniel. I called him Brother Daniel because he was a Carmelite monk. Christian monk, but he was born Jewish. And in World War II, he hid in a uh, monastery, a Christian monastery. And he was a good Jew while he was still hiding. He would save Jews and help them through his connections, you know, go into the forest and things like that. But unfortunately, he, Yetzirah got to him and he converted to Christianity. And he was born Jewish, according to Al Din, he's 100% Jew. And he wanted to immigrate to Israel under the law of return that all Jews are allowed to uh, become citizens of Israel based on law of return. Now, a guy can also become a citizen, but that's only if Israel is masking. Like anybody else, you want to become a citizen, you have to apply, will decide. A Jew, like that, by law, you, you, are, you are allowed to be a citizen. He wanted to come with the law of return. Uh, they said no. If you're an atheist and you don't believe in any Hashem, no problem, you, you're a Jew. 
But if you believe in Yoshka, you believe in God, but that Yoshka is uh, Mashiach, whatever, you're not a Jew. The Supreme Court rules Brother Daniel was not Jewish because he believes in another religion. See, they have their own musug of what they want a Jew to be like. Yeah, sure, be Jewish. What's Jewish? Like that picture of David HaMelech on the horse. Take off the yarmulke, give him some more muscles, give him a sword. Those were the ancient Jews. That's us. God, not God. In the olden days, they believed in God. Now, Adi Odenein is not Nagea. Now, we have tanks and we have guns, and that's what we believe in. That, but the tzura of a Jew, even according to them, is not somebody who was at Salem and goes to church on Sunday. So in their idea of what they want to make a Jew, they arbitrarily decided who's a Jew and who's not. A koifer be'ikar, an atheist, meisus uh, umediach, uh, who knows, the worst possible, Yeruvim Benavat, the worst Jew in history of the world. The Rambam is mashma like that. The Rambam says everybody has Bechira to be as big a tzaddik as Moshe Rabbeinu or as big a Russia as Yeruvim Benavat. Vice Dois, the Rambam couldn't find a bigger Russia. So it's good enough for the Rambam, good enough for me. You could be Yeruvim Benavat, the worst, and worse, you could be an atheist even. Okay, and you're men of art, but they'll take you as a Jew because the tzura of what they hold a Jew is, what they're trying to paint a picture in your mind that fits with. But a guy who was born Jewish and believes in a boyre oilam, Enochanami, he's an oivravoidazara with the Yoshka things, no, I, I, agreed. But he believes in a boyre oilam, he helped Jews in the Holocaust escape. Nobody denies this. And he was good to them. Uh, but he's not Jewish because such type, he can apply as a regular guy to be a, uh, a citizen. If they want, they can accept it. If not, not. But this is not the tzura of a Jew. Zionism is a different tzura of what a Jew is. It changes the taich of a Jew, and therefore it's mamish avoidazara, and it gives you a different tzura of a Jew, and this is how they change the hashkafas. The new Jew, now that they have a country and an army and, gold me- and an Olympic team, and a, a Eurovision uh, song team like everybody else. Now the Jews will stop wanting to be Mamleches Kohanim V'Goy Kodosh and will want to be, will cheer when Israel wins an Olympic gold medal, even if the guy is a guy. Israel won, so Jews all over cheer. What connection does a Jew have? Let's say he's a guy. Uh, when I was a, uh, a bacha, there was a French swimmer, Mark Spitz, Olympic guy, won tons of gold medals. And there were Jews who were proud. Truth is, there's nothing to be proud of. Torah mitzvahs, not that. Fine. But at least he's a Jew. If a guy from Israel would win the gold, uh, Olympics gold medals, everybody's proud. All the Jews are proud. With what? No, because it's your country. They want you to now aspire. This is how they fix the hashkafas of the Jews. Instead of wanting Torah and mitzvahs only, you'll want gold medals for Israel. You'll want to be part of the baseball team. You, you want them to win baseball games. You want them to win. You want them to be strong and to have a big army and etc. etc. Et and now all the hashkafas that they didn't like in Jews were fixed, because now a Jew is no longer mamleches kehanim You could be from. They don't care if you're from, as long as you're loyal and you accept the tzur of a Jew. And that, that's basically, that's mamish the whole story. The rest is perish. There's a lot more to this. Believe me, a lot more. That's why I couldn't fit this into 100 pages. But there's, there's a lot, a lot more than this. A lot more. But this is mamish just the basics. Then they change history. They tell everybody that in their Declaration of Independence, throughout the generations, all the Jews wanted to return to their land for 
political independence. That's such a lie. We were looking for Mashiach. This is Mashiach. And uh, they say Jews are Zionists because Jews were always Zionists. I'll tell you a story. You remember the, there was recently this Lufthansa airplane where there were Jews on the airplane uh, and there was a, 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 a switch. Uh, uh, they had a switch flights. You know the story? Recently, uh, this winter, uh, they... Um, there was a Lufthansa, it's a German airline, it's from the German National Airline. And um, there, were, there was a flight, and I don't know, apparently there were Jews on the flight, uh, visibly Jewish Jews, uh, who were uh, making trouble. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but they were, making, they, were, they were misbehaving. They came to the switch, you know, to the airport, and they had a switch, and they would not allow any Jew to board the next plane. A kenas, the Jews were bad. No question anti-Semitism. One of the guys who was on the plane, and it was a whole big thing, one of the guys who was on the they're making a lawsuit now against Lufthansa. One of the guys, Asat Machosid, who was on the plane, calls me up. And he tells me like this. He said, they, wanna, they have a lawyer. Lawyer's a big Zionist guy, Jewish guy. And they don't want just money from Lufthansa. They want Lufthansa to sign on to a certain definition of anti-Semitism that basically says if you're against Zionism, you're an anti-Semite. That's part of the settlement with these Jews. The IHRA definition. So should he be masking him? I said, but Shemoy Fenat, Chazatreif. It's Mamish Chazatreif. Go tell him you're the client and you're not masking. He did. He calls me back. He says, no, you're also, the, you're also a Zionist. The only difference between you and me is that timing when we should have a Jewish state. Uh, you hold it should be after Mashiach. We hold before Mashiach, but we all agree on Zionism. No, that's, not, that's how they want to get you. It's not true. What they have, some po we will never have a country ever that is the country of the Jews in the same sense that Japan is to the Japanese, what that country is to the Jews. Bechlal not. We never had. They made Jerusalem the capital of the Jewish people, President Trump said. No, Jerusalem is not the capital of the Jewish people. Jewish people, a capital is the biggest, most important city in a country or a state. The Jews are not a country or a state, and they're not a political entity. In the days of David HaMelech, it was the capital of David HaMelech's country. If there was a guy living there, it was, Jerusalem was his capital too. If you were living outside, Jerusalem is not your capital. Capital is a political thing. There's no such thing as the capital of the Jews. But see, this is what they want. They want us to look at Yushalayim Ir HaKodesh as Yushalayim Ir HaBira. There's a big difference. Shushan was Ir HaBira. Yushalayim is Ir HaKodesh. They want what Shushan is to the Persians, Yushalayim should be to the Jews. All of this is the same Avodah Zorah.